Welcome to So Now What, a bi-weekly podcast of the ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio. Join hosts Michelle Patnode, W3MVP, and Joe Karsha, NJ1Q, as they offer information, support, and encouragement for those starting their journey into the world of amateur radio. So Now What is brought to you by LDG Electronics. LDG Electronics provides state-of-the-art automatic antenna tuners and related products for every amateur need. Check them out at ldgelectronics.com. Asking questions. That's how you get the advice and insight you need to go from a new license holder to ham radio veteran. And the first question is, so now what? Hey, podcast listeners. This is Michelle Patno, W3MVP, and we're at Hamvention 2019. Unfortunately, co-host Joe Karsha, NJ1Q, isn't at Hamvention this year. We've recorded a bunch of interviews, and we're really excited for you to hear them. We're here with Tommy Gober, N5DUX. He's the Education and Technology Program Instructor. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Tommy. This is really cool. I'm super excited to, to have you here and uh, at Hamvention. It's a lot of fun every year. Get to come in here yet again. Yeah, no, we're glad to have you, and we're especially glad to have you on the podcast. Yeah. So, Tommy, what can you tell me about your booth this year? So, I'm in the uh, Lifelong Learning booth. Uh, historically, we've been called the Education and Technology Program booth, but we're, we're kind of branching out into uh, other learning avenues. So it's not just focused on schools and uh, traditional education, but more about you know what what kind of things are, are hams looking to learn from the hobby and um, all the, the cool things that you know are they come with this hobby. You, a, lot of, a lot of hams really can look back on their time with amateur radio and say, I've learned so much from this. And so that's what we're kind of trying to capture through the program. Um, in our booth this year, we've got all sorts of gadgets and gizmos. So lots of fun with um, you know different toys that we've got. Uh, we got some. Uh, I'm sorry, tools. We're going to call them tools, not toys. Uh, we've got robots and um, we've got some some different antennas, like satellite antennas and stuff. Stuff that sounds really kind of high tech and geeky and out there, but it's really not. It's really. Um, something that you that you can get into very easily any technician license can get on satellites so it's something that's attainable for a lot of folks doing that you can learn a whole lot of you know about satellites they seem to kind of this mysterious unseeable untouchable it's way out there in space and i'm never going to see this thing but you can hit it with a uh a, an antenna that you can make yourself oh that's awesome yeah and uh, just any standard ht you know wh- whatever handheld radio you've got you can probably hit a satellite as long as it's a dual band. Um, there's a lot of really cool satellites that are out there. So that's a lot of fun to do. We've also got fox hunting. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know if your listeners have heard about fox hunting, but uh, yeah. a lot of fun about hidden radio transmitters and stuff. And uh, so we have a, uh, a setup over there showing folks how they can use um, a tape measure Yagi antenna. These are like, it's a, it's a funky jalopy looking antenna. <laughs> it's like made out of what you would think is trash. It's PVC, it's tape measures. Uh, there's a, uh, uh, there's like hose clamps that hold it on there and some wire and it's all something you can make at home from stuff that's in your garage um, and you know so you can use this for fox hunting uh, I've actually used one of these tape measure yaggies I've been able to contact the International Space Station using one that's super cool yeah. okay tell us more about that that's really cool because everyone always asks how can I build and how can I do more yeah, things I want to talk to those guys yes exactly exactly yeah. so okay so first off I don't want to break anyone's heart here but it's very rare Uh-oh. to talk to an astronaut live on the space station. Oh, no. It's pretty rare because they're busy guys. 
guys, you know, and gals. Great. They're, they're pretty busy. They, when an astronaut's in space, they're not just up there for a joyride. They're doing a lot of work for NASA and uh, European Space Agency and others. So your best bet to, to try and contact the space station is to check out APRS. Okay. And it's the Automatic Packet Reporting System. So APRS um, is really cool. It uh, allows you to send your latitude, longitude, your call sign. Your altitude okay. is included on there as well and some other information. And that all comes um, via different transmitters that are out there. And the International Space Station actually has a digipeter. A digipeter is kind of like a repeater that we're all pretty familiar with. A digipeter repeats digital signals. So okay. that's just how it's differentiated between that and a normal repeater. The space station is flying with a, uh, I think it's a Kenwood radio on there right now, just like you'd buy off the shelf pretty much. Uh, and it will receive APRS packets and then retransmit them. But the cool thing about it is that when the space station gets those packets, it, re- it retransmits those packets with um, with the NA1SS call sign on there. So when you get a packet from the space station, you know it's come from the space station because it has their call sign on it. That's really cool. Yeah, so That's what would be cool is that if, if you send a packet to the space station, it's going to go through the, the space station and get their call sign, and I'm going to receive that. I'm going to see that it came from you via the space station. That's and so cool. Oh yeah, gosh. it's super easy to do. Super fun. So... One of the other things you can do with that is uh, some of these radios have APRS built in. You can hook that into this, um, into the uh, that tape measure Yagi I was talking about, and that's tuned for two meters, so you, it's easy to do. I was able to hit the space station from my back porch at home uh, when I was living in Northeast Texas. <laughs> space station just happened to be flying over, and oh, that's awesome. yeah. Lots of fun to do with that. Um, if you want to go a little bit more um, kind of store-bought, like maybe you're uh, I'm not too inclined to mechanically inclined to build my own antenna. Um, I also use an Aero antenna. That's one of the things we have in the booth. Okay. Uh, this is it's one of the, the vendors. Uh, you may have seen them advertised in QST. Um, they uh, it's it's actually made out of aluminum Aero shafts. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, it's just a it's like they took the fletching those little feathers off the end, <laughs> threaded it on there, and now you've got an antenna. Um, those are good for, for working satellites. You can actually talk through a satellite as if it's a repeater. Lots of fun. That's with that. cool. It sounds really technical, really hard. It's a lot of moving parts, but when you get it, you think you're the coolest person in the world. Like, this is so awesome. I'm, like, super geek. Okay, so I mentioned on our first episode that I want to make a space contact, and this is just making me really want to make a space oh, contact yeah. even more. Uh, it sounds super cool and super exciting. Okay, Tommy, so next time you come to HQ for Teachers Institute, yeah. I want to be involved. I want to make a space contact. Awesome. <laughs> okay, so I've definitely mentioned on the first episode of this podcast that I want to make a space contact. Now, you totally shouldn't. Yeah. Yes. Now, I know you come to HQ for this thing called Teachers Institute, yeah, which we will get fun. into in a second, but I definitely want to be involved and actually make a space contact this Absolutely. year, if I can. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, when I when I come up there, um, so uh, anybody that's, that's looking me up, the call sign, <laughs> N5DUX, they're like, it's a five call sign, what's he, so I live in Texas, um, I come up to the Teachers Institute, to, to headquarters, um, this will be my uh, fifth year in a row, I think, sixth year in a row, nice. to come to headquarters. Um, and I do a week-long workshop with teachers. It's a program we call the Teachers Institute on Wireless Technology. That's the full name. Um, ARRL.org slash TI. 
It's the Teachers Institute. It's, so if you go to awrl.org slash TI, uh, you get all the information about it. But it's a free week-long workshop for teachers. So public, private, um, homeschool groups, any kind of educator at all. We've had higher education down to young elementary grades, um, any subject. They come to uh, do this workshop. We do one at HQ, and we also do one right here in Dayton. Um, oh, that's just great. up the road, yeah. The, in uh, June, right? Yeah. Awesome. So that, that one's in June, and I'm going to be doing uh, the HQ at the end of July. So we have two of these sessions at the Teachers Institute Level 1, and then folks that attend that can then go on to do a, a deeper dive at Level 2. Um, so uh, Larry Kendall, uh, K6NDL, is our... Um, uh, one of our other instructors, and then uh, Matt Severin, N8MS, is our okay. other um, is our other instructor. He is TI2. Um, so when I come up to headquarters um, on the usually on the second day, we actually get on the satellites. If, you know, if there's a pass coming up. Yay! So and we we just walk out in the parking lot, literally, with an aero antenna, like I was talking about earlier. And we just hit on a satellite. You know, I track it using one of the apps on my phone. Find out when's the next pass coming over. Jump on and we talk. So you should totally come out. Yes. And check it out. Oh my God, that's awesome. I'm so excited. I'm gonna make a space contact. <laughs> so make sure you keep, make sure you keep listening to the podcast because that'll be a lot of fun. That's that'll be. Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll probably go live with that episode probably in August. I guess just probably early August. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. So it's the last last week of July is when I'll be on and. Um, the, the really fun thing about that is instead of using my personal call sign, N5DUX, I get to use the super special, super awesome call sign, W1AW. <gasps> yes, yes, you do. <laughs> so for, for any ham to get to use that call sign is a real treat. Um, anytime, you, anytime any kind of ham uh, gets to visit uh, headquarters, you get to go across the parking lot with Joe. Yep. Right? And you get to work in w one aw And when he says Joe, he's talking about Joe Karshaw, NJ1Q, who's my co-host. Unfortunately, he's not at Hamvention this year. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Joe will definitely walk you through and show you how to, to do all of that. But we have a lot of fun talking with folks on a satellite. Um, and because W1AW is not always on the on the air on satellites, right. it's pretty popular. And so um, as the satellite is flying overhead from one horizon to the next, it's a um, it's a, a, a real party. A lot of guys really jump on there and, and, and step on one on one another trying to work the famous <laughs> W1AW. So we'll definitely keep you keep you in the loop for that. That'll be a lot of fun. Awesome. Yes, this is going to be so much fun. <laughs> well, Tommy, thank you so much for joining me for So Now What? Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. Absolutely. Take care. 73. 73. We're here with Jet Jurgensmeyer, K-E-0-U-W-Z. Hey, how are you? Thank you for having me. Hey, absolutely. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm having a blast here. I'm so glad. Now, I heard this is your first time this year? This is. And it's also my parents' first time. My dad and I, we got our license at the same time, so Oh, that is so cool. Okay, Jet, so first of all, everyone's going to want to know, how did you get into acting? Well, I started acting when I was four, but when I was little, my parents owned a restaurant in Nashville, and when I was three, I started off getting up on stage there and singing and telling jokes for people, and we had some friends, Erlene, Louise, and Barbara Mandrell. Their mom, Mary Mandrell, said to my parents, you know, why don't you try acting with me? They were like, all right, we'll do it, sure, why not? That's awesome. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I started acting when I was four, and I, I fell in love with it. Oh, that's really, really cool. Yes, ma'am. Great. Now, so you're on Last Man Standing, and we have <laughs> ham radio in the show. 
show. Now, were you licensed before the show or after the show? How did this happen? I was not licensed when I first started the show, but I was by the end of the show. See, uh, there's a real ham radio on the set. Right, and right. Tim Allen, Mike Baxter's office That's in the background. That's so cool. And he gets on it every now and then, which is really neat. So, I kind of got into that John Amadeo. He got my, my dad and I into it. He works on the show. So, we fell in love with it. And I really don't know how to put it. I, I just, it was really neat. It was really interesting to see that I can talk to somebody anywhere in the world just by radio. Yeah, so like my dad and I, we got our license on the same day as well. So, that was really neat. We'll remember that forever. That's awesome. Team effort over there. Yeah. And my call sign is KE0. UWC. This is KE zero UWY. That is the one right after. So on last minute thing, are you guys operating on the show like during lunch breaks or after you guys film? We get on the radio before the show. So okay. usually before every show, we have a control operator. We usually do. We will get on, and somebody, one of the cast members or crew, maybe. I I like to get on and talk to fans. Usually in the LA area, Southern California, but all across the country. I think we've had some people CQ from Russia. Nice. Very cool. We've had people contact us from pretty far away, which is really cool. So I know you just got here today, but what's your favorite part about convention so far? Is it just meeting the fans, seeing what's out there, seeing the flea market at all? It's basically everything you just said. Oh, perfect. Um, but really the big ham family, because you hear on the radio that it's a big family, but you don't see it until you're actually around ham radio operators, which is really neat. Oh, that's awesome. Now, I saw you over there signing autographs, too. I saw you yes, had a big like line USL over there. Cards. Yeah. That's awesome. Love them. That is so cool. That's fantastic. We're pretty far away, which is really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. So, Jeff, if you had advice for a new ham radio operator or somebody wanting to get involved in the hobby, what would it be? Well, I would say if you have your license and you're new, welcome to the family. And if you want to get your license, come join the family. Because it really is, I said it earlier, it's one big family. And it's kind of interesting to think of it that way, but it's true. It really is. Which is really neat because you hear these people on the radio, you talk to these people on the radio, but then you get to meet them face to face and see how many. This is just a a small portion of the amount of ham radio operators throughout the world. Absolutely. Just here. And it's, it's really cool to be able to see how many there are and how big of a family it is. Now, do you have any upcoming projects? Are we going to be seeing you in any new movies sometime soon? I do, actually. I have a movie that is out on Voodoo right now, and it will be out on the Inspire Network in June. It's called The Legend of Five Mile Cave. I have an, a Disney Junior animated series. What? That is so cool. TOTS, T-O-T-S, Tiny Ones Transport Service. We're 
we deliver babies to their homes, and I play Pip the Pink. Aww. Yeah, we deliver baby animals, should I say, to their homes. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, and you can also go to my website, jetjorgensmeyer.com, that's Jet with one T, and you can see my tour dates. I'm kind of traveling around the country performing. I have a few dates later this next week. Later next week because it's Saturday. So next week, I'll be performing in Missouri. Uh, I have some dates in Tennessee, Georgia, Illinois. I'll be playing my guitar and I'll be singing. And I, that's how I got my start when I was little on stage. So there you go. That's awesome. My album will also be out this month. Wow, look at you. Yes, ma'am. Wow, good for you. Good job. Thank you. Okay, well, I hope you enjoy the rest of the convention. Thank you very and much. good luck to everything for you. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. You. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for being on So Now What? So Now What? of Tamitha Scove WX6SWW at Hamvention 2019. Tamitha, it's really nice to be with you today. And now, tell us about your call sign. There's been some rumors about what this means and whatnot. Well, I'm actually known as the Space Weather Woman. That was something that the uh, community gave me, the Space Weather community gave me as I started doing space weather forecasting. And, of course, one of the big uh, groups that I try to give forecasts to is the amateur radio group. You know, the community is huge there and um, they've been wonderful and they finally convinced me to get my you know get my hand license so I, I got my technician's license and when I did uh, I had a bunch of people throw out what my vanity call should be and one of them came from Jerry uh, Ryan K8VGL and he came up with the Weather 6 Space Weather Woman so WX6SWW and I loved it and I felt fell in love with it I couldn't find a better one and so that's that's I'm very proud to say that someone in the ham community has managed to give me my name. That's awesome. That's really something special. Now, Tanitha, we do have a few questions for you today. Unfortunately, co-host Joe Karsha and J1Q, he wasn't able to be at Hamvention, but he did prepare a bunch of questions that I'll ask you. So our first one is, um, could you briefly explain the meaning behind the designators we use, A-K-S-F-I, and why their numbers are important when it comes to good radio propagation? Sure. Well, the first thing I'll do is probably throw out A, because you don't really use it. A is, that's the AA index, and that index is actually a summary, a daily summary of what the K index is. The K index is a planetary index that tells us what the Earth's magnetic shield has been doing. And at the A index, because the A index averages the daily variation of that, uh, of what the Earth's shield is doing, it's not really useful because it's kind of like getting the weather report for one day, and there's a lot of things that go on in a single day that can make the weather good or bad. So when you talk, people talk about the A index, it's probably not something you should be using if you're worried about radio propagation now. Now the K index, on the other hand, that's something that's about a three-hour index, and it actually, when the K numbers are high, like around four or five, that's typically bad propagation on Earth's night side. If the K index is about three or below, that oftentimes means very good propagation on Earth's night side. It doesn't necessarily mean great propagation on Earth's day side, but on the night side it can. Now the SFI, that's the solar flux index. That's for the day side of the Earth. So when you use solar flux index, if you see low numbers like in the 60s, they're almost like temperatures for in a Fahrenheit for Americans so if you see the chilly 60s, you know that radio propagation isn't all that good. But if you see something getting closer to 100, even above 100, you know then that's when radio propagation is really hot on the day side. And you should be having some good DX. Okay. Awesome. 
Okay, so our next question is, there's some opinions out there that we may be nearing the end of weak sunspot cycles. What do you think Solar Cycle 25 holds for us? Well, unfortunately right now, the cycles are changing quite a bit. And even in the scientific community, we're a bit confused as to exactly what the sun is doing. We know that the sun has been, over the past two or three decades, the sun has actually been in very hot, very strong sunspot cycles. But now as uh, things are beginning to change, we're now beginning to move into a period where we're having lower and weaker cycles. And that has to do with just some, some large-scale changes and large-scale long-term like 200-year cycle variability that we see. It doesn't mean cycles are going away. There's a big scare that we're going to go into a maunder minimum or something like that. That's not going to happen. But the cycles are weaker and that means lower activity at solar maximum and it means a longer minimum a lot of the times. So really activity is going down. Where you get this confusion with sunspot cycles being large is really when it comes to really extreme events. Unfortunately, these low activity cycles can actually spawn the biggest events. And we've even seen some of those big events in this past cycle. So for the coming cycle, which should be ramping up here in the next year, those, the uh, expect a cycle to be very similar to what we just finished getting out of. Um, but do it, stay on your toes because we could have some very, very large uh, solar storms heading our way over the next maybe five or ten years. Oh, wow. Could you briefly explain stereo spacecraft and how it could help us see what is occurring on the sun's other side? Sure. Uh, back in, I think it was in 2008, we launched twin stereo spacecraft. This is the stereo, that's why we call them stereos, because we had a stereo A and a stereo B. And we launched them from Earth in opposite directions in Earth's orbit. And the stereo A went ahead of Earth, that's why it was called stereo A for ahead. And stereo behind kind of lagged Earth. And they, what happened is that right around 2014, they actually managed to go behind the sun in Earth's orbit, but behind the sun, so completely across the sun from us, and then they crossed and, went the, and, and are now beginning to come back the other way. Unfortunately, we lost Stereo B. It, it had a, a failure, so it's no longer with us. Stereo A is the only one that's still alive. But while being on the sun's backside, it has been giving us amazing views of the sun, which helps us see what's coming around the bend, because our sun rotates, and as it rotates, every 27 days, it makes one full solar rotation, or essentially a solar day. And so because of the sun rotating like that, what's on the sun's backside today will be in Earth view and heading for us come, you know, two weeks later. So if we're able to see stuff on the sun's backside with the stereo spacecraft, just like we see stuff, uh, you know, with Earth facing, spacecraft that are located at Earth but facing the sun, then we get a two-week, and essentially a two-week head start on what the sun is going to be shooting our way a little bit later. It makes our forecasts a little bit better. And so that's what stereo is useful for. Awesome. Thank you. Just a matter of Russian roulette whether or not the Earth is in the line of fire. Have you ever studied or heard of the Don Chorus, Whistlers, or Sparrows? Yes, actually. The, the funny thing is I just, at here at Hamvention, I just uh, gave a talk in the instructor's forum and I have a whole slide. The Don Chorus, for example, it sounds a lot like birds chirping. And 
what it is, is you've actually got particles, these are electrons, in, in near-Earth space. They're actually in the Earth's radiation belts that surround Earth. And when the radiation belts get really energized, what happens is these particles get scattered. They get, they get, there's too many of them, and there's, there, it's a really unstable area. And so you get these waves that will scatter these particles in, down through the Earth's magnetic shield into our upper atmosphere. And when you do that, they actually sound, the, the, the actual sound that they end up making electromagnetically is, sounds like birds chirping. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's a pretty sound. It's almost like, and, and it's a bunch of birds. It's not just tiny little, you know, one bird here or there. It sounds like you have a whole flock of birds, and they're all chirp, 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 chirp. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful sound. So that's one type of space weather effect that we can hear on the ground. Now, whistlers, spherics, and I don't see tweaks in the question, but tweaks are another one. Okay. Really, those all are caused by lightning. The difference is really how close are you to that lightning. Now, spherics and tweaks sound a lot like bacon sizzling and frying in a pan. And uh, I, I believe it's spherics are the ones that sound really, really close. It's when the lightning is just a few miles from you, and so it's like just a sizzle, pop, 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 pop. And then tweaks are a little bit further away, so so the the lightning actually, the, the electromagnetic you know uh, pulse and and the um, the the electromagnetic disturbance, let me put it that way, the electromagnetic disturbance that travels to the lines ends up uh, sounding a little bit lower pitched and a little bit further away, so it's kind of like if you took that bacon sizzling and you turned the volume, kind of, you turned the, the, the speed down on it, and so it kind of stretched out the sound a little bit. That's what tweaks sound like. Now, whistlers have a very unique name because of this descending tone that they make. And they get really, really low. And the reason why they do that is because it's lightning that you, that's causing it. But the lightning, the, this electromagnetic disturbance, actually travels a very, very long way. So it's actually what's happening is that, let's say you're in the northern hemisphere and you have a lightning strike. It actually will travel up into the atmosphere, out into space, along the magnetic shield, along one of the lines of magnetic field, clear out into space, and then it will come back and come back into the, the Earth's atmosphere in the southern hemisphere. And the person in the southern hemisphere that is connected with this by this line will hear that, that whistler sound from lightning in the northern hemisphere. And the descending tone comes because it has to travel such a long way that the frequencies of, of that, that are being caused, the higher frequencies travel faster. The lower frequencies travel slower. So they spread. So when they spread out as it travels this long distance, the high frequencies hit first, and then the low frequencies hit because they're slower. They're like slower runners. So they come later. They arrive late from the race. You know, the racers, all, it's like a marathon, right? The racers all start at the same time. Pow, you shoot the gun, right? That's the lightning bolt. And then the racers run, and they run the whole race. But when they get to the finish line, if it's a long race, the fastest runners finish first. Right. And the lower, the slower ones come in later, right? That's a whistler. Because the faster runners are the high frequency, and the slower runners are the low frequency. And so you get... Does that make sense? It does. And it's because that's the long distance that the lightning, that, that that electromagnetic disturbance had to travel out into space and come back to the southern hemisphere, you know, to, to the to the receiver. And if it's if you're in the northern hemisphere and you're hearing it, what you're hearing is lightning occurring in the southern hemisphere. Wow. Crazy.
crazy, huh? Yeah, no, that's a really good comparison. I like that. That's I, awesome. I, I just came up with it, so... No, that was great. <laughs> okay, I hope it works. It really puts it in perspective really well, especially for new hands listening to this podcast as well. I think that'll be a really good way to look I, at things and interpret. I hope so. I hope it helps, you know, it helps them understand that space weather is something that you deal with on a daily basis. You're, I always tell hams that you're, you're on the front lines when you do when it comes to space weather because you have to deal with it day in and day out, and a lot of people don't appreciate that. But, you know, it gives you more respect for your sun, for the star that we that we all live under, because that star can protect, you know, can really cause some issues, and our Earth has to protect us, and it does it with electromagnetic waves, and that's why amateur radio operators are on the front lines of it, because you guys deal with those waves all the time. Right, absolutely. Thank you so much, Tabitha, for being here with us, and thank you for being on So Now What? Okay, you're very welcome. It was my pleasure. Now we're from our sponsor. LDG Electronics provides state-of-the-art antenna tuners for every amateur need. From QRP to QRO, fixed stations, portable and remote, an LDG tuner will match your radio to your antenna using our lightning-fast, proprietary tuning algorithms. LDG is a family-owned and operated company dedicated to bringing innovative, quality products to the amateur market. All LDG products carry a full two-year warranty that is fully transferable. Support is only a phone call or email away. We're always here to help you. Visit us on the web at ldgelectronics.com. Welcome back to Highlights from Hamvention on So Now What? I ran into Sarah Byrne. She's in emergency management, and this is the second Hamvention that we've both been to, so it was a pleasure running into you, Sarah. You too, Michelle. Thank you. Absolutely. It's nice to run into somebody you know at events this big. I don't think last year when I came, I realized how huge Hamvention is. It is. Have you made it out to the flea market at all yet? Um, no, I did a lot of just catching up with folks, checking out gear. Um, I don't yet have my license. I'm studying for that this summer. Awesome. Um, so I had help from a bunch of really experienced friends to look at the pros and cons between gear so I can be practicing as I get my license. Awesome. No, that's really good to hear. Now, you're in emergency management, so tell me how that kind of correlates to ham radio and emergency situations. Sure. So um, I work in messaging. We always talk about, you know, right information, right place, right time, right? Where are people looking for the information? What information are they looking for? And is Timely. Um, and I think something that we all thought about in 2017 in Puerto Rico especially was, you know, what are the backups to the backups to the backups? And that really stoked a lot of interest for me because um, I believe strongly in resilience. I mean, I many years ago decided to train for a triathlon because I had been I had been sailing with a girlfriend and I thought, man, if this sailboat capsizes, can I swim to the shore? Oh, geez. And I was like, well, the best way to figure that out is to train for a triathlon of this. <laughs> because, you know, logical people think that way. Not really. But, um, Big comparison. Though. Yeah, so I was, I was thinking, you know, for myself, what is the backup to the backup? And how do I develop some capability there? And it really stuck me interest. That's awesome. So besides emergency management, what got you interested in ham radio specifically? 
Um, I have been working with some partners in uh, the VOAD space, um, American Radio Relay League, actually. Perfect. And, um, That's us. Yeah. <laughs> and um, just really appreciated everybody I met and their passion for radio, but also their passion for service, which is definitely a core value for me. Uh, so I thought this would be a good place to check in. Glad that you came to him, Benjamin again. Glad that I ran into you. Yes. Some of the guys were like, wait, you came back. We didn't scare you off. Oh, no. <laughs> That's so funny. But it's actually funny. Around um, a little bit after I attended Hamvention last year, my mom, not even realizing I had been to Hamvention, sent me a note about my great-grandmother. And it turns out she was a line sister Pam back in Ashton, Kansas. Uh, I did some research online and found out um, that she got licensed in 1951. Oh, wow. Which is certainly where there were not very many women in Ham. Um, and she uh, communicated with over 35 countries, including the North Pole, which I thought was just really cool. And Ooh, so I've been, impressive. Yeah, I've been messaging with some of my cousins. Um, my cousin John, who lives in Maryland, and we, we catch up every now and then. I live in Arlington, Virginia. Um, John was saying that he remembers that his dad used to get them together to call his grandmother, my great-grandmother, on Sunday mornings because long distance was so exorbitantly expensive, so they would radio the family over the weekends to catch up. I'm like, wow, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, no, that is really cool. I mean, that's not even something that we think about today, just because, you know, you just think, okay, you have your cell phone, but, you know, we don't always have service. Yeah. I mean, ham radio, it's always there. Always. Exactly. I do remember trying to keep up with family, we'd always have, you know, calling card numbers, and you'd have to keep up with the most current one, and whether it was loaded to be able to call, and, um, and yeah, communications have gotten so much more, just, there's so many more options, but also streamlined options in oh, many yeah. ways. I remember the last time my grandmother, um, who is celebrating 95. Oh, well, happy um, birthday. Yes. <laughs> um, my grandmother asked if I could get the calling card information to call our family in South America, because um, I'm half Colombian. And before I got back with the calling card information, she was already um, video chatting them on Facebook Messenger. I was like, oh, Grandma doesn't need me anymore. Oh <laughs> She's got this figured out. That's actually really funny because they do say ham radio was the first social media. Oh, I believe it. Absolutely. And I've been learning a lot about kind of the difference between analog and digital. Um, oh, that's great. That's yeah. great. <laughs> and we were talking about um, kind of the features I did or didn't want. I was listening to everybody's opinions. They were like, wait, you want more opinions? You probably have plenty coming at you. I'm like, yes, I want more. Um, so picked a picked a radio that was easily field programmable since I'm going to be learning. Um, I was really intrigued by the submersible one, but I realized I don't really need that, so I went for just water resistant. Oh, good, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been really fun. Awesome. Now, were you looking for affordable or were you looking for a station? Because I know you said water resistant. So do you do any camping at all, or, or are you wanting? to do any contests? Is that of interest of you? Um, I'm more interested from uh, my community use perspective. So I do volunteer with my community emergency response team in Arlington, Virginia. Uh, Shout out to Les Garrison, who is our our, um, strong leader and getting us all kind of put together on the CERT team. Um, And shout out to Nathan Shepard, who's helping kind of organize all the hams with Arlington CERT. Um, But yeah, 
so I'm, I'm interested in being able to use it locally. We have the Marine Corps Marathon in Washington, D.C., so maybe if I can learn and practice enough before then, uh, maybe that's an idea. Um, and then, yeah, I'm just interested in really being able to use it for local things and then having it in a emergency situation as needed. Awesome. No, that's really good to hear. And, you know, a lot of people always ask, you know, how can I participate being a new ham or wanting to get into amateur radio? How can I participate just hobby use, but also how can I participate for the emergency aspect of it all? And I know you're studying for your license and you're going to get involved, but what advice would you have for others that are studying or even just got started? What would be the first step into getting into emergency management? Would you say volunteering at a race where you could be helpful in, that, in those in those types of situations? Yeah, I mean, I I have been in love with volunteering from a very young age. Our family did a lot of, like, have to have for community and oh, things great. of that sort. Um, and then, actually, when I was in high school, I started volunteering heavily with Red Cross. Um, and I went through a lot of other avenues of public service, but came right back to my Red Cross volunteering, which brought me into professionally emergency management. Um, and I absolutely love it. I mean, it's it's a mission that's hard to beat. Um, it's public service at some of the most important times in somebody's life. Um, and so I'm really, really passionate about it. And there are so many ways to volunteer. And actually, if folks are looking for opportunities, I encourage folks to look into the National VOAD, National Volunteer organizations active in disaster website um, American Radio Relay League is obviously one of the national level members if folks want to look at a more state level there are also state OADs and that information is available at nvoad.org uh, lots of opportunities to volunteer in the emergency management space and ham radio is certainly one of them that's perfect well thank you Sarah this is great thank Thanks. you for being interviewed on so now what <laughs> thank you <laughs> we're here at Hamvention 2019 with Valencia Simpson. She's not yet a ham, but she has worked with AWRL in the past, so let's welcome her. Welcome. Thank you. Hi, my name is Valencia Simpson. Valencia Simpson, and I'm here with Michelle. Um, I have been working with ARL for the last four to five years when I was in Dayton at the Hair Arena. Um, they are some awesome people. I love working with them. So this year I come to Virginia to be just a volunteer slash observer this year, 2019. So hopefully next year I'll be able to come back and be a volunteer for real. Um, it's, it's awesome. It's, the people are so loving, caring, and kind. Well, I'm looking into being a, a technician. And the reason that I um, I want to get into it is because I see so many amazing things uh, dealing with different types of people, culture, all that good stuff. And I think that I would be a good candidate for it. Uh, if, you, if you hear any kind of shadow in my voice or anything, I'm kind of nervous because I am kind of shy a little bit. That's okay. It's okay to be shy. But Michelle is welcoming me. And, uh, oh, thank you. 
I'm stuck right now, but it's a great opportunity. I want to do it, and I hope I succeed in it. And if you, if anybody out there have a chance to come out here to visit the Hamilton, please do so because you will, you will just love everyone here. Everyone is just, just uh, awesome, great people. Okay. Oh, thank you so much, Valencia. I'm so glad that Ed Hair, W1 RFI, introduced us. And this will be so great to inspire new hams and others like yourself wanting to be doing hams. Thank you so much again. I need to mention Ed Hair. Ed Hair is a blessing to us all. If you ever cross his path, you have a friend indeed. You really will. Yeah. We really appreciate that. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time, Mom. So now what? Convention 2019 with Tony Maluzzi, KDARTT, and Andy Maluzzi, KK4LWR. How are you guys today? Doing well. That's awesome. Now, tell us a little bit about your booth here at Hamvention. What's new and exciting? So we have the Collegiate Amateur Radio Initiative booth here at Hamvention, uh, where our main goal is to have an outreach event to meet hams, uh, tell them about what colleges are doing on the air, um, talk to other college students, come up with ideas, discuss things, and just kind of promote amateur radio in colleges and universities around the country. And part of it, too, is also the social aspect and sort of having that communal spot where we can say, oh, meet up at the booth, um, and everyone sort of knows what that is. And um, we're celebrating different uh, college clubs, so uh, students have come by and brought pennants from their school, and we've actually hung them up all over um, the booth, sort of just celebrating the diversity and, you know, the schools involved in the program. Awesome. I was actually going to ask you if you got any new pendants this year. Uh, we got a QSL card from Georgia Tech, and we got a Rose Holman pennant hanging up there this year. So, nice. Rose Holman, we finally brought one. Yep. Yeah, that was Tony, so, I mean, yeah. That's awesome. So now, you guys are in Cary, which is the Collegiate Amateur Radio Initiative. Tell us a little bit about that for all us new hands. So, there's a lot of young amateur radio operators that get licensed either in high school or college um, and maybe don't know what to do next or, you know, are trying to find a community to get involved with. Um, and this sort of organically started growing uh, on Facebook. And there was a Facebook group of just college-age hams, get on the air and, you know, just sort of talk about that. Things. What's your club like? What's that sort of thing? And some people just trying to find clubs. And that's sort of how it started. Um, and then Ed Schneider donated money to the American Radio Relay League and actually uh, was able to turn this from not just a grassroots movement, but actually put some support into it. And that enabled forums and, you know, booths now. Um, so we do this at Hamvention, at Hamcation. They've done it at... Um, I think Huntsville's had some stuff and Box Bros had some stuff. So like, um, and those again are different people sort of grassroots organizing it, um, which is really cool to see that happen. And with that, we've also uh, tried to bring in uh, events that are uh, college specific. There's um, school club roundup twice a year that is you know, includes colleges and universities. But also, we've uh, this past fall we brought or we created the collegiate uh, QSO party uh, as a way to promote explicitly colleges and universities on the air. But anyone can participate. And what's really cool about the event is the QSO party. It's supposed to be for young new hams. Um, so the exchange, if you're not perfect, that's okay. Um, if you're, if it's your first QSO, that's totally fine. The idea is to provide that outlet for students to get on the air. Some of them for the first time, maybe some of them, you know, as they're getting, going through the licensing process, getting involved. Um, 
and just to have fun for a weekend. Um, so we had uh, over 20, you know, people enter last year, which was really fantastic. Um, and we're hoping to grow it this year. We've been listening to some of the feedback from the community. We're going to streamline the exchange a bit, uh, make it a little simpler for, uh, you know, different schools and individuals. Um, and we're also going to move it back a week or so, um, just because we seem to be about a week early. That was a lot of common feedback we got. So um, we really want to make this, you know, that sort of communal thing that people can look forward to. And we really want feedback. So um, that's what's also great about the CUSA party is we've gotten a lot of great feedback from those who participated and we're trying to listen to them. That's awesome. So mentoring is a really big topic right now. So how do we go about that in the clubs? So one of the obvious um, answers is there's a faculty member who does a lot of mentoring for the club. They bring the club or they keep the club active through times of when there's not a lot of student activity. Um, they provide a lot of resources and expertise. But there's there's more than that. There's local communities. Uh, the local ham clubs will are, are typically very helpful to college clubs from what we've noticed. Um, and of course, alumni. Alumni are a great resource that a lot of alumni want to give back to the university through their ham club. A lot of them remember the fun times they've had. So that's a great resource we found. And I think a lot of it, too, also goes by different people's expertise. So you might have that really passionate faculty member that is maybe the DXer. Um, like, that was definitely my case. So I got to learn a lot about contesting and chasing DX. Um, but my background is electrical engineering. Um, you know, so I was definitely more interested in building antennas. But I got this really cool introduction on getting on the air um, from Dr. Jay Gartlett's AA4FL. Um, and he got me on the air. He got me really confident talking to people. And then I was able to find other mentors, even online, um, there's a wealth of knowledge on the internet. Um, so for me personally, that worked out really, really well to just connect with different uh, hams and sort of see different designs um, and that sort of thing for antennas um, and go from there. So, you know, it, you can not only get that passionate faculty member, but sometimes that's the foot in the door that leads to you connecting with so many others in the community. And also, uh, this initiative in general, uh, it's kind of one of the goals of it is to provide a, a main resource of assistance for clubs. So um, we're looking at kind of creating a, almost a manual for school clubs uh, to use. So, you know, there's there's mentors as in people, but there's also this, this library almost of, of ideas and activities that other people have tried and it's been shared throughout the, uh, the community. That's great. That's really great. So when's this annual expected to be out, and how can we find it? So it's still kind of in early development. Um, my, my hope with it is to get uh, feedback from clubs all over the country and the world, college clubs in, uh, in particular, that what works for them in terms of recruitment, uh, activities, projects, that sort of thing, um, and just bring it all together and post it probably on the Collegiate Amateur Radio Initiative Facebook group where we have a lot of our resources. I'm um, just a central place where people can download it and use it and pass it along and, and my hope is that over time it'll be you know, added to um, as people try new things and discover what works. And part of it, I think, is also to grow and evolve. Like, you know, we, we've talked largely about sharing this content, you know, through social media and through the Facebook group or, you know, through Twitter or Snapchat, you know. So um, I think that's also part of it is keeping that connection current and letting the plan sort of morph into whatever really makes sense for the current generation. Now, if you're on Facebook, I strongly encourage you to join Carrie's group. And you can also find that on ARRL's page under groups. Yeah, the easiest way to get to it is to go to ARRL.org slash we want you with the letter U. And that will take you to everything about Carrie, um, and you can go from there. Um, so easy way to get involved, especially if you're a college-age ham and you're interested in, like, okay, what do I do now that I got my license and I want to connect with the club? Check out the Facebook group. Someone will definitely respond to you probably faster than I 
Caldwell and say, oh yeah, we got a club here, or oh yeah, I know so-and-so there, um, and we'd love to have you. Awesome. Well, thank you both very much for being on So Now What? Thanks for having us. Absolutely. I was so happy getting to meet everyone this year at Convention 2019. Thank you everyone for all the wonderful interviews, and I hope to see you all again next year. Thanks again in 73. So Now What is a production of the ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio, and is sponsored by LDG Electronics. LDG Electronics provides state-of-the-art automatic antenna tuners and related products for every amateur need. Check them out at ldgelectronics.com. For more information on amateur radio or the ARRL, visit us on the web at www.arrl.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn by searching for ARRL. If you have a question or comment for Joe or Michelle, email us at sonowwhat at awrl.org or use the form on our website, www.arrl.org forward slash sonowwhat. This program is copyright of the ARRL and any unauthorized redistribution or rebroadcast is prohibited. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to So Now What at Blueberry.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Serena Jackson, KC1JMW, Administrative Manager of Radio Sport at the ARRL. Thanks for listening.